what a weird week. Um, comfortable, couple of comfortable victories, but it turns out uh, yes. United are on the verge of trying to ruin football forever. What do you want to do first? Burnley? That's not never an appealing prospect. Or European Super League stuff? Why, why don't we go with the big story uh, of the day? Because I, 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 honestly, I mean, you know, it was a... It's. I'd say you. There's this old adage, isn't there, that you need a good day to bury bad news. And yeah. this coming out when United are playing Burnley is not the best day because it's never going to be that exciting. They should have buried it under a, you know, mega top of the table clash or something. I well, but, I don't think they were trying to bury it, were they? Because uh, so no. I, I had actually been given a heads up about this about three months ago that this was going to be announced this season um and that it was really happening um as an alternative to to the to the Gazprom um rather than as an alternative to the domestic leagues so right. uh, we should say we're recording this at 6:30 on Sunday night i'm sure an awful lot more will have probably come out by the time you hear this about the I'm specifics sure. and all that stuff so this is a bit uh, kind of slightly unfortunate timing, although I guess it would have been worse if uh, if they if it hadn't come out until after we'd finished recording this, and then everything we'd said would have been totally redundant. Because it does look like the the future of football is going to be radically different. So it's probably uh, well. Um, it's worth saying at this point that the most likely thing that's happening here is this is a bargaining chip, a very intense bargaining chip. I'll, I'll just give a pricey for anyone that has not been uh, up on what's happened. Um, something like 14 clubs, including five from England uh, and then clubs from Italy and Spain, not France or Germany, have um, uh, said that they are proposing to start a breakaway Super League from, well, a breakaway European competition from next season uh, in replacement of Champions League status. And it would be something like 14 clubs uh, set in stone and five clubs in and out sort of a thing. Yes. Yeah, no, I think that's basically, I mean, there, there's some debate about whether there's five or six English clubs involved um, and whether it's 11 or 12 have definitely signed up mm. to it. And they're, they're looking to get, yeah, you know, either 15 or 16, um, you know, founder members and then four qualifying each year. Uh, so basically, a, you know, a, a mostly locked in league yeah. uh, with very little room for, for competition or relegation looks much more like. MLS or the NFL or something like that. Um, and this is coming at the same time that there is an ongoing debate about um, the details around the new Champions League format, which I think is, is you know, 90% agreed. It, it, you know, it's going to be a Swiss model of something like 36 clubs. Um, the Swiss tournament model means 36 clubs, but they play, you know, I think the debate is eight or 10 games guaranteed. And how many are locked in versus how many qualify through the, you know, the qualification process and national leagues and stuff like that. And it's, and and importantly, what is the share of finances? And you know, it feels like this this um, this super league is the nuclear button ready to be pressed if UEFA won't cave on on giving both you know control of media rights. Um, and the bulk of the finances to the leading clubs. That, that's, you know, I don't think that's been explicit, explicitly said, but I mean, I think we can assume that to be true, right? Yeah. Um, so the, the, the state of play now is that the bomb has been dropped or the announcement that the bomb is being prepared has been dropped. Um, UEFA have condemned it and said it's time to act against these clubs 
serving their greedy unilateral interest or something like that. And it's like, feels like this is almost exactly what UEFA do. Um, but, yes, pot, kettle, yeah, black, Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, that's, uh, you know, uh, that's their reaction. The Premier League have said that they'll expel any um, English clubs who or ban, I don't know if it was ban or expel, any English clubs that participate in this. Although um, the, yeah, well, the idea that the Premier League would expel Manchester United, Liverpool and Arsenal, never mind Chelsea, Tottenham and, and City, like... Uh, it's completely fanciful. Yeah. They'd need 14 clubs to vote for it to start with because of the, the way the collective bargaining agreement is structured. Um, and then they'd need those 14 clubs to say, we'll go from guaranteeing ourselves, I know, there or thereabouts, £100 million a year, a little bit more, uh, to we'll guarantee ourselves pretty much nothing. Because how much do you think Sky and, and BT and Amazon will pay for a league without United, Liverpool, Chelsea, Spurs, City? Right, mm. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Look at the championship finances. So... That's what the clubs would be asked to vote for. They'll never do it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's Liverpool, United, and Arsenal, isn't it? That's where that's really where the money is. Maybe Chelsea a bit as well internationally because they've been, and I'm sure City that will be on an an upward trajectory. But you know, globally, this is you, know, you go to Africa. What you're going to see is Chelsea and Arsenal and United shirts, right? That's like that's how this that's and, and Liverpool, Liverpool. Yeah, that's yeah. how this stuff works. Um, well, I was going to say like particularly different regions tend to have different. Um, relationships and associations. So, you know, like in the Far East, you'll see a ton of Liverpool and a ton of United. Um, So anyway, uh, that feels completely ridiculous for the Premier League to be using that as a kind of, as a, as a, as their kind of reverse nuclear threat, because the clubs can just call their bluff and say, all right, then, well, we'll, we'll make this our only competition then in that case. And, you know. Yeah, it does rather feel like, um, you know, the Premier League of the North Koreans here threatening to annihilate uh, the rest of the world with their nuclear weapons yeah. and uh, the rest of the world got some really big nuclear <laughs> weapons um, and, and that's the actual club. So the power is with the clubs and and whether it's the Premier League or UEFA, uh, their competitions mean nothing without the big clubs, nothing at all. Um, and so they will, um, if, if um, you know, if it comes down to it, and I'm just still assuming it's that and it's not a, like a uh, rugby splitting in the 1800s or the dart splitting whenever it's split mm. between the two different darts bodies you know that would be disastrous for the game you know that that is it would be less than the sum of the parts to have two different tracks one track a european super league financed by private equity um the new york times report today said they were talking to jp morgan i'm sure there's others involved in that and you know that could happen it looked like formula one or something like that yeah um uh, and and then another track with all the massive other clubs, which for the fans of those clubs, let's be honest, my I mean this is terrible. I just want to be really clear. I think this is a terrible, awful idea, mm. and it's against you know the 125 years of history of the game, 150 years, um, and and it's driven entirely by the greed of of a very small amount of owners um, and the desperation of I, I imagine the Spanish clubs because of their debts. Um, and this is an awful thing. But I actually think for the fans of the rest, it's not that bad. It actually might make these leagues competitive and the football meaningful. I mean, you talk to fans of clubs that yo-yo between the Premier League and the Championship, for example, they probably enjoy the Championship more, mm. you know? It's it's competitive, good football. 
it's entertainment rather than getting pummeled by the big clubs. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's a tangent. It's just to say, I think this is awful. Um, and it's a disaster for football if we split into two different camps there, Formula One and the rest, or MLS and the rest, or NFL and the rest, or whatever model you want to use as the mm. analogy. Um, and, and so I imagine because of that, and I imagine everyone knows that, that we will get a UEFA announcement in the days or weeks to come, which is the reformatting in the Champions League, and it's 36 teams, you know, 24 of them are guaranteed or something like that with 10 games in the group guaranteed and then knock out after that, you know, and it'll add four extra dates to the calendar and much more power to the big clubs and much more money to the big clubs. I'm assuming something like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand why you're um, pretty bullish in the assumption that that's what's happening. And I would definitely share that view, although we've never got to this point before. Right. And, no, and right. The, uh, so first of all, I think we should make the unilateral decision to stop calling it a super league and start calling it what it is, which is a franchise league, because that's that's what you're you're moving away from a promotion and relegation model there's some lip service to that for a few you know a few people that are allowed a seat at the grown-ups table every now and again yeah oh but that's not relegation by the way that's there's no relegation in this model this is just promotion yeah rotating right right. so but then those teams oh okay well what do those teams have to do the next season anyway i oh i guess qualifies through their domestic leagues right right so whoever wins the domestic league or whoever finishes highest behind the big franchises the big 12 or whatever and some kind of qualification process so christ yeah yeah. i mean you know the, the thing about it is you know i was thinking well that that's me done if that happens, I, I couldn't. In I couldn't say, "Oh yes, I'm still a Man United fan." If that happened, like I don't know how how you would do that. I know that you know the the associations run deep, and and you know we've kind of weathered a bunch of stuff. And really, the Glazer ownership was a was a kind of a, a line in the sand for a lot of people. And here we are, you know. 15 years later 16 years later and we've still been doing a podcast for 11 years about them and you know all of that kind of stuff at what point do you just go enough's enough like i hate these i hate this organization why why do i associate myself with an organization i had despise everything about like yeah because because we love what happens on the pitch i think and and that would still continue it'd be very different there'd be a saturday team and a wednesday team basically because we're adding four extra dates or or maybe it you know maybe it looks more like this season every season uh, or maybe there's some kind of sacrifice in the in national leagues you know in terms of the number of teams in them i i don't know there'd still be football yeah it would just be less meaningful on the domestic front shoot this is making the assumption that united aren't kicked out of the premier yeah. league you know it'd be less meaningful on the domestic front and you know the the special thing about europe would become kind of you know daily bread wouldn't it it just it, that would become less special because you'd be playing one of these so-called top teams every week and the other thing is even if we get the swiss model instead right you know talk about overton window shifting exactly right now yeah and, and that is part of the that's part of the idea behind the, the nuclear option of the breakaway league um even if we get the swiss model depending on the format they choose exactly and there has been some debate about this it could be 16 or 24 of those 32 or 36 teams 
that go through to the knockout phase. I'm talking about meaningless fixtures. Yeah. You know, after about halfway through that league, assuming you've done okay, you you it's gonna you're gonna qualify. It- for the next round. And I don't think they're talking about seeding the knockout stages either. So it doesn't matter where you end up. But this is know. this is exactly what I was going to go on to say because my my first point was was about the Overton window. So I'm saying you might feel differently about this. But for me, that's me done if the, the European Super League happens. But why am I why aren't I done now? Because they've they're trying to do this to entrench like like, I hate everything about what they're doing all the time. So, yeah, you're right. We love what happens on the pitch. But, like, what's the... There's such a intense disconnect between those two things that there's... Especially, like, covering it actively. You know, like, really engaging with him, Watch it, following every nuance of what happens week in, week out of the club. And just, it's like, it's so despicable. Um, yeah. no, I mean, I, no, no, I fully agree with you. I don't disagree with anything you, you say there. It's so despicable. I mean, it was despicable in 2005. Yeah, you know, yeah, and, yeah. But I still feel myself, even though I hate it, and I wrote a lot of angry pieces about what was happening back then and for years afterwards, until I found life got in the way of writing all the time, um, you know, I, I, I still feel the need to be engaged with it even though I hate what I'm looking at <laughs> and I really despise the owners and what this great club has become, yeah. you know? And, and I, I wish deep down, even though I know it's, you know, it's unlikely to happen that there was a different model, you know? And, and by the way, you know, we're talking as commentators, pundits, fans, customers of this club in, in some countries. So it's notable that the German teams aren't involved in this because you know, the 50 plus one rule means that the fans would have a real say yeah. in, in this. Um, and, and in Spain, almost certainly for this big structural change, you would have to get fans voting on it at Barcelona and Real mm. Madrid and Atletico. They're the third involved. And I, I can't see that happening. I can't see that happening unless there's a major, you know, unless it's, you know, Amazon in Alabama um, taking on the potential union. I don't know whether you're following no. that story or not. I'm trying to draw an analogy. Anyway, uh, uh, workers at an Amazon warehouse in Alabama um, uh, one had took a vote to unionize, mm. right? And it turns out 70% of them voted against unionization. It feels like Turkey's voting Christmas, yeah. right? But Amazon uh, ran this massive campaign against the union, made it out that they were going to have to pay high dues mm. and stuff like that. As anyway, they do. You know, as they do. Um yeah, so unless the clubs really pushed it, that this will be great for us and a disaster if we don't do it, um, you know, you can see Real Madrid fans and Barcelona fans voting against mm. that, you know. Um, anyway, that's down the road. Um, but, you know, you're right, we, do, we don't get a say. We just get to talk about it and, and maybe at some point talking about it is too much still. I, I don't know. You know, like... Um, it's it's a dark proposal uh, and it's despicable. It's everything. It's against everything that the history of the game, in especially in this country, in in England, is about. You can still have a fan engagement model when you have a franchise model. I mean, I look sure. at the MLS and some of those some of those clubs are great about engaging the fans. You know, the Sounders near where I live now, great about engaging the fans. You know, it's a multi ownership model. 
not involving fans, but yeah, mostly ownership model. Atlanta United, the new, reasonably new franchise, great about engaging the fans. Some of them are, are really good about doing yeah. that. Um, you know, much better than the Glazer family have been with United. Given one interview, <laughs> one interview in 16 years, you know, they don't engage at all. Yeah, I mean, I've got the telly on in the background and Delhi Capitals have just beaten... Uh, I was going to say Kings Eleven Punjab, but this is franchise cricket, so the names changed since last season. You know, Punjab Kings. Like uh, this is that's a franchise model that has been wildly successful. You know, drew a lot of criticism and ire from traditional arenas in cricket, and it turns out that when you have a franchise model that is for like two months of the year, and you kind of collate a bunch of the best players from around the world, that that's a different proposition altogether isn't it but you know that's obviously got phenomenal fan engagement um but but it's just so gross and and like football is completely gross right it's been completely gross for a long time it was it was completely gross in a lot of ways in the days of you know millionaire industrialists owning clubs and paying the players 20 quid a week and Jimmy Hill having to, you know, campaign against the maximum wage cap and, you know, all of these kinds of things. It was, you know, the football's never exactly been um, a sort of pure socialist utopia at any point. Well, not, not, for a not long only time. in the early yeah, days. Exactly, yeah. Only in the early days when most of the clubs, um, especially in England, but, but in other parts of the world too, were, were formed of either Working Men's Association, United Railway Working Men's Association, or churches, Everton, or schools, or other community institutions. So, um, but that 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 model didn't survive, mm. and and it was the industrialists that took over pretty quickly. United, uh, when was it? Nineteen oh two, right? So we've got thirty years of that model surviving, and and then it was up to fickle owners, you know. And and it has been this sort of benevolent ownership model until. Until you know the early nineties, when Spurs and United first listed on the stock exchange, and then there were public companies, and then um, and then uh, you know what the early to mid two thousands when the takeovers um, by overseas investors started happening, and now when private equity is getting involved, right. you know, and these kind of private equity multi club models now looks very much like a business, you know, like private equity gets involved in the restaurant business and. They'll own Nando's and Gourmet Burger Kitchen and some pizza chain all at the mm. same time, right? And it's not that different. You know, you know, it's not great business football, but you know, you can sort of work out the the margins that could be made. And and the more of that you guarantee, the better the business model looks for that kind of investment, for sure. Yeah. Now, now I just want to preface what I'm about to say, especially for our American listeners, with what I'm about to say is not. Um, intended as a criticism of American people by any stretch of the imagination. But there is something specific about the influx of American owners into the Premier League in particular, where, and also, of course, in Italy, um, where the franchise model, it's like if you're an American sports team owner, you're looking at the typical traditional European football model and going, what are these idiots doing? Like, don't they know they could be making loads more money and have loads more success and stability and all of those kinds of things? And, you know, if they ripped football up and said, we're going to have an NFL equivalent, right, where there's a draft system and, you know, all of that kind of thing, then you go, okay, well, you know, fair enough. But to try and 
the, the, there's something about superimposing the franchise model and trying to make it run in line with the the current model that that just it just doesn't make any sense at all and and you know the domestic leagues you talked about having a different Saturday and Wednesday team but what's going to happen I mean it already happens now right Champions League clubs condense the best players and there are enough good players and there's enough money in the Premier League in particular that you get really spectacularly good players at non-Champions League clubs for at least periods of time but um you know the, the transfer market would be completely transformed by this thing because every good player worth their salt would be wanting to play in this league, assuming it's successful because, uh, you know, broadcast rights, all that kind of stuff. Like right now, Sky are paying whatever they're paying for broadcast and the global rate is whatever it is. They're almost like um, having Burnley versus Newcastle is a massive loss leader for them, right? They pay more for this than they pay for what's currently on offer because the product is consistently going to, you know, in theory, draw a lot of eyes. And I, I just wonder... If if this, well, I would almost say when, whatever version of this, whether it's still called the Champions League, but there's 16 teams that are in it every season, whatever happens, you know, or whatever, however this all shakes out, is that at some point, surely people have got to start saying, all right, do you know what? I am just done with this. Like I, you know, I, I don't consider myself to be the thing I've always been. And there will be a certain group of, um, you know, supporters, call them traditional supporters or, or whatever you want, that, that will feel like that, as, as they felt when um, Andy Walsh and others set up FC United in 2005, yeah. right? You know, absolutely. You know, and I, I I, feel very much in that camp. Very much. I still have my FC United chairs, you know. I, I've never actually been to see them play, by the way, but... Um, uh, you know, I I follow them as a as a second team or whatever. You know, um, and there'll be many many fans that feel like that. But I think the bet is that the the customer base that are willing to watch the IPL or their Marvel franchises or any other form of entertainment is there, right? You know, and I think there's a there's a kind of little bit of a false dichotomy here. You know, you hear Agnelli, a, a Juventus chairman, talking about this quite a bit where he kind of equates it to esports and he thinks the competition is with esports. No, 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 it's not, you know. There, there is value um, and in the drama of football, as, as it has been for 150 years. That has not diminished, even if, you know, the media landscape has, has changed somewhat. And, and I think it's a, it's a bit of a red herring. And that, whether he believes it or not, or whether that's just a talking point, I, I don't know, you know, and... And I, th- I think football could eat itself from within with, with some of these changes, you know, or maybe they're just betting that there's a globalised market for consumption of this kind of football. Yeah. And and that will be bigger than the traditional base of, of you know, match-going fans who, who like, um, had a conversation with the former head of um, digital media for the NBA, right? Really fascinating conversation, um, she's now set up, um, a, I forgot what it's called now. It's like a fan-owned football. You can look at this. I think it's called fan-owned football, right? And it, American football. And it's like five-a-side indoor American football and it's owned by fantasy franchise. Anyway, so I had this conversation with her and she said, look, 99% of all basket fans will never go to an NBA game in their life. So our goal is to make sure that the experience that that, that 99% has is as good as possible and as much access as possible. And you can see it in the way the NBA 
is structured for media. You know, you have access inside the dressing room, you have interviews, you have complete and total media access, you have, you know, they have a, a media uh, division that uh, does the highlights packages um, and the long form packages for all nations around the world, especially China. Um, and it's structured to, con- you know, to provide a great experience for those people who can afford to go in the in the arenas. But, uh, you know, perhaps even greater experience for all those fans around the world. Now, if you think about it like that, yeah, and, and with the closed model, you start to see that this Super League, this breakaway league, you, you can start to see the thinking behind this, right? We will provide a product that anyone anywhere around the world can consume. It doesn't really matter where you are in the world. Um, and maybe you associate with a club that's nowhere near where, you, and you're never going to go to Turin mm. because you live in Guangzhou in China. Mm. Um, but you can follow that team, and you know, and you can see that thinking. It's the thinking that that um, United have as well. If you read all their investor reports, they believe they're a media entity that provides football as their primary product. Yeah. Now they've never been able to fully work on that because they don't own the rights. They have to share the rights, you know, with with 19 other clubs in the league when they know they're the biggest swinging dick in this league, even if they're structurally so bad that they can't, you know, leverage that to on the field yeah. success. Right. Yeah. So now they can leverage that to what looks like a guaranteed few hundred millions of euros just to set it up. And that's a private equity model. So buy a share. Um, and then however much millions every year, you know, and, and the way the American sports are structured, is they're structured with the collective bargaining agreements with the the players to provide a guaranteed chunk of money to the owners mm. every year. No, no matter how bad you are, mm. right? You know, no matter how most of the ownership of the Buccaneers, the Glaze ownership, they've been terrible. Couple of good seasons in in that you know twenty odd years mm. of ownership, but they take money out every year, and that's basically guaranteed. Yeah. You know, and that's what they're looking at here. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, you're right, I guess. I was just thinking as you were talking, like if you're eight years old, then next season's the first season that you really pay attention to football and Manchester United, the team that your family supports or that you like the kit of or whatever it is, or you like Marcus Rashford or whatever it might be, they play in the European Super League. Okay, that's what that's what they do. You know, it's, it's just it, that which seems a complete anathema to existing fans just is completely normal to the next generation of people that are just, you know, just coming through. Even if you're 14 years old, it's like, oh, you know, you you might have strong feelings about this, but equally, I guess you you might well not. And, you know, you you talk about the the traditional fans and, you know, there's a there's often a kind of bit of a civil war between match going reds, you know, and people from other parts of the world. And that, that stuff's horrible because as we know, like there's plenty of people all around the world who are super duper dedicated to their association and fandom, you know? Um, So, and I'm sure that, you know, broadly speaking, the people that are listening to this show all around the world are much more likely to be people who wouldn't want anything to do, who would kind of value the traditions of football or whatever, because that'd be part of their association with the club is an association with the traditions of the whole thing. Um, but yeah, it's... it's I, I think Overton window is absolutely key, you know, Ed, because I, you know, I think you're absolutely right. It's like, I keep working out where my line in the sand is with Man United, and I... 
if the Saudis had come in, that would be really nice and easy because, like, I just don't want anything to do with that. This feels like it's in that territory. The Swiss model feels like it's in that territory. You know, just having these clubs destroying the fabric of the Champions League, basically stopping it from being genuine competition. And, and by the way, like, the whole thing is so... In England right now, we're talking about the club that's in second, the club that's in fifth, the club that's in seventh, and the club that's in ninth. These are the five teams that have uh, shown up to be like the big dogs, you know. Ah, oh, yeah, sorry to the, you know, seven teams that are above us in the league, but actually we're the ones that matter. Like, it's so anti-competitive and for sport to have any yeah. meaning, it has to be competitive. I mean, I mean, a couple, a couple other thoughts on this. Oh, and, you know, again, yeah. agree. Yes, sport has to be competitive, unless it's the franchise model and it's just, you know, it's a limited run entertainment. Um, so what are my other thoughts? Um, it's been a long time since the Champions League was truly competitive. Right? The, um, you know, look back through the finals of, of um, you know, who, well, who was the last surprise winner? Maybe Inter Milan in 2010? Liverpool? And they, you know, like, well, isn't is Liverpool, I mean, Liverpool were you know and won the Premier League for thirty years, won the Champions League a couple of times, and yeah, yeah, but they're a traditional so big are Inter. club, aren't they? Right, so yeah, so we're Inter, right? Porto, so the last kind of... even finalist that made it, and Borussia Dortmund. I mean, they get eighty thousand turning up every week. I can't call them a small club, even if their finances aren't the same. Uh, Monaco, I mean, in the tax haven. Are they the last small club? Porto versus Monaco in 2004. I mean, you know, the, Bayer Leverkusen made the final a, a couple of years before that when United should have. So um, the, the point is, there's not a huge amount of competition at European level either, right? You know, this year's semi-finals are, you know, gas-fueled nation-state club versus oil-fueled nation-state club versus, you know, quasi-nation-state club that stole all its money from the people owner um, versus, you know, Royal Madrid, Franco's favourite team. You know, the romance of the Champions League, folks. I mean, um, so, you know, this will be an extension of, of what has happened anyway with consolidation. And, and I'm not giving, I'm not trying to give the devil's advocate argument for this. I'm just saying it's, it's you know, it's, it, it's a consolidation of the same in a way. And your, and your point about it's, it's first versus third versus seventh versus ninth or whatever, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly why they yeah. want this, you know. The vagaries of competition. No no way a business model stands up to that. You know, it's um that's no good at all. Is no, it? and and you know, okay, so we take the nation state capital out of this, which is, you know, because last season we had PSG uh versus Bayern in the final, which is a team that is owned by uh a gas-powered nation versus a team that is um, 50% funded by them, basically. Um, so, you know. Um, and, and But there is something about uh, the big teams being in and around the, the top echelons of the Champions League. It does shift and change which big teams in particular it is. I mean, you know, we talked this season about how we could have had 10 in a row for Celtic, however many in a row for uh, Juve. I think 10 in a row for 
It would have been for 10. Juve. It yeah, been sorry, 10, meant, yeah. um, to say however many for Bayern. And it would have been 10 in a row for Juve. But Rangers won the league in Scotland. Um, Juve, I don't know who's going to win the league in Italy, but it definitely isn't Juventus. It's like yeah. Inter. Um, so... You know, there is still something, you know, we had the, the the mother of all unbelievable sports stories in Leicester winning the league in 2015. I guess it's a kind of a long time ago now. But nonetheless, you know, there's some degree of turnover. And, and even like, um, if you think about the, the big rivalries for the title in England, it's really shifted a lot in the last few years. I mean, City's money has kind of artificially inflated them to be in that picture the whole time. But, you know, the, the team that they were competing with has, has shifted and adapted since the end of the Fergie era. And, and our opponents throughout the Fergie era changed and shifted. Arsenal were dominant. City came through. Chelsea came through. Um, there was Newcastle, Blackburn. You know, these have been the teams that have, have competed, that, that we competed with. So there's at least some degree of mobility. But, but, I think it's probably fair to say that's been reducing and reducing and reducing as more and more and more and more money's come into fewer and fewer and fewer clubs. And by the way, one other proposal, and I don't know whether this will form part of the European Super League or the Breakaway League um, or not, um, is that there was some talk about limiting transfers between the franchise teams, right? You know, and that, that is to take down the cost of those transfers um, and, of course, you know, all the players will want to play in that league. There'll be consolidation of those players. Any good players that are in non-guaranteed teams will float up to the guaranteed teams because all the money will be there. Um, but if they stop the transfers or limit the transfers between the teams in some way, they limit the amount of cash, like, you know, especially the amount of cash bleeding out to agents. Um, and they more importantly, increase the amount of cash that's retained within the business to give to owners mm. or pay off the debt if you're, if you've got 1.2 billion euros worth of debt and you're Barcelona. Yeah. Oh, 400 million pounds worth of debt and you're Man United. Well, it might have gone up a bit recently, actually, again. Um, yeah. So having talked... There was apparently some football yeah. this past having week as well. talked about super grim stuff, let's talk about Burnley. Um uh, listen, Woo-hoo. at the end of that game, uh, Martin Tyler said nothing super about Manchester United's performance there because it was a great Super League pun. I could not disagree with him more. Like, there were flaws in that performance, but for a team that's played uh, two games a week every single week all season, literally, this is the first week that we're going to have a, a, a midweek off since the start of the season. A team that hasn't beaten Burnley at home for five years, that's really struggled against any team that sits deep. We beat them 3-1. Two of our three goals were excellent. A lot of their good chances, in inverted commas, actually they got those chances because they were offside. Um, and uh, their goal was a foul on Maguire if Maguire's... Uh, was a foul on them in the, uh, re- the the reverse fixture earlier in the season. So, right. like, I'm not having it. I thought we were, especially in the second half, I thought we were really good. Yeah, no, and I think it's important to point to that context. United played on Thursday. Most of these players played on Thursday. Uh, and Burnley didn't have to play a midweek game. And so they've had all that prep time. I mean, United will have had one extra training session because they played at home on Thursday. But the away games, they're returning... In the middle of the night on a Friday, we'll have a, basically a warm down training session on a Friday and a team meeting on the Saturday before the game. They have no, 
you know, I, I think Andy Mitten was talking about it on the uh, Talk of the Devils podcast that they that some games the backroom staff having to give pre- preparatory notes on the team bus heading yeah. to the game. Well, Ole said it's... in his pre-match presser that basically they've just been coaching team shape and stuff in games because he hasn't been able to do anything off on the training pitch at all. Yeah. Wow. I mean, um, so yeah, uh, 50 games so far this season for Bruno for United. Um, a couple extra for Portugal. Um, 48 games for uh, Marcus Rashford, uh, plus a couple of internationals. Missed this recent international break, you know, otherwise it'd been even more. You know, these these players are knackered. Um, and I think in that context, it was a, a very good performance. You know, the weaknesses were obvious, right? Burnley sat back, made it difficult for United. United moved the ball at pace to start with, but then it slowed down and it was difficult for, um, you know, earlier in the game for United to create those chances from wide areas. Eventually they came and Luke Shaw was really excellent, uh, created six chances in this game. Um, and, you know, it was excellent at providing that width and penetration, which is important in the system United have with those sort of inverted forwards. Um, uh, you know, the the other weakness was Burnley's high ball, and it definitely caused Maguire and Lindelof yeah. some problems, especially Lindelof. I and mean, Wood just pull, pulled, you know, is it either aimed directly at Wood or a, a another uh, to Wood, you know, and Wood pulled off onto Lindelof all the time, just constantly, and he just couldn't handle it. And, you know, Burnley's goal was, you know, not from open play, um, uh, but but you just saw it all there. You know, Maguire not strong enough, probably fouled, but not strong enough. Henson blocked off by his own player. I was, uh, I was, you know, my initial thought was, oh, he could have come for that. It's only six yards out, um, but Shaw's blocked him off, and so he's he stayed on his line. Um, and Lindelof, if you look at the replay, especially one from behind, he actually flinches. He's like, he goes, oh, you can't see it because it's a podcast, but, you know, I'm demonstrating the flinch. I'm like, my God, man, you're a professional. <laughs> and uh, I, he just doesn't like that physical stuff, you know, and it was hard for him all game. So, But given that, you know, uh, United just conceded the one goal and and it took two late goals to win it, for sure, but some really excellent movement. And, and the shift, the positive... Proactive substitution, take off Fred, put Cavani on. Cavani is, you know, apart from his role in the third goal, was pretty quiet. But it opened up the pitch for for Rashford, didn't it, to start attacking? He was quiet in the first half and then excellent in the second. So, you know, that that positive shift, the you know, great attacking play between United's forwards was was far too good for yeah. Burnley. And we haven't been able to say that that often about our attacking play versus teams that sit with you know eight men behind the ball the whole game, nine. And, you know, one up front and well, he was well supported. Um, I, the, I wanted to make a point about the goal, actually, the, the goal we conceded, which relates to the stuff we were saying about the no time on the training pitch. Because um, I think it was Gary Neville saying that the, the, they were all too deep. Uh, their starting positions were too deep for the corner, the United uh, defenders. And I, th- I think this is probably a consequence of the fact that Henderson's replaced... Uh, De Gea without a lot of work being able to be done on team shape. So they are standing where they would need yeah. to stand with De Gea as the cold keeper. And they, they've they got the luxury of a couple more yards they didn't have before um, yeah. for having Henderson there. I, th- I think you're um, right. So yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think you're right. And and Henderson, I mean, he's vocal, but yeah, they they've got to take charge of that. He needs more space. Clearly, he was blocked by yeah. his own player. I mean, Burnley are trying to yeah. block him. Um, but there was a one that came after, you know, ten minutes after, uh, where Shaw got out of his way and Henderson just took the ball cleanly. So he you know, he is good in the air. We've seen a couple of mistakes, but I think you know, generally speaking, aerially is a strong point for for Henderson. So yeah, give him the room, trust mm. him. Um, and and you know, Maguire and Lindelof by instinct don't like any room behind them because they're terrible. <laughs> it's just a. Just, you know, it's a major area yeah. of weakness, um, but especially on those set pieces, yeah, push up a little. Um, all right, so let's talk about the United goals. The first one, an absolute peach of a goal. Rashford, who was the the, the Burnley player that he did? L- yeah, Lotan. he. Yeah, oh, just oh, ruined him. I mean, it's just he did a, a proper elastico in the box, like a flip flap in the box. Um, and Gary Lineker, uh, Gary Neville kept saying, oh dear, oh dear, you would, you don't like that as a defender <laughs> when he was watching the replay. That was afterwards yeah, exactly, as well, yeah. he did him twice. But, um, but I was going to say, yeah, and, I mean this one he just used the afterburners, yeah, didn't he, and just, you know, flicked just past so him. Just so good. And then um, the kind of wherewithal of Fernandez to to dummy that, um, the ball, uh, which was a very fine ball from Rashford across, but dummying it opened up that space for Greenwood and Greenwood react because it's quite hard to react to a dummy. You've got to be really alert, haven't you? And um, she reacted brilliantly and it's uh, it's not like an unbelievable finish, but it's a really good finish from that area of the box with the ball coming to him at that pace and he gives the keeper absolutely no chance. And Mason Greenwood is a B-A-C-K back, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about Mason this season and and um, has he had a good season or not? And, and, you know, he's been playing in this sort of right-wing position. He's talked about uh, improving as a player. Ollie talked, um, was it a couple of weeks ago, that the goals were about to come um and yeah it's just the 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 raw talent the ceiling for mason is just so high he's just got everything i mean he's not going to be Lionel messi dribbling past five players um doing a couple of one touch um you know off the wall passes with the teammates and and slamming in that's not his game but um in and around the box absolutely lethal i mean he scored a brilliant goal against Spurs last week when the defender didn't know whether he was going to go inside or outside because it doesn't matter. Um, his his ceiling's so high and it's good that he's getting the goals now. I mean, he certainly yeah, and it. even the second goal where he got a bit of fortune because it came off the defender's heel and went in, um, he's worked the space brilliantly and Burnley deserve that for trying to defend that deep. You know, you're going to get some ricochets. They've got so many bounces of the ball in their favour they deserve one or two of those. Um, I don't, didn't feel like a, a a ridiculous fluke, you know. It was it was a shot on target, and and it clipped the defender's heel and beat the keeper that way. Uh, I mean, you know, like I have zero sympathy for Burnley <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> fans, scumbags, Sean Dyche, yeah, you know, um, uh, the way they play uh, now owned by American Private Equity. I mean, you know, they are all the evils all wrapped into one. So sadly, they will stay up. Um, because, you know, it's Burnley and they've had enough points. Um, I mean, they're six points off, but I, Fulham are just not picking up enough points for Burnley dragged into that, I think. 
So anyway, yeah, zero sympathy for Burnley on many fronts. And then the third goal was a masterpiece. So uh, it was 2-1. Because of the nature of the way we'd taken the lead 1-0 after kind of like a real huffing and puffing, um, finally taking the lead and then immediately squandered it. Like people whose streams were a bit behind were still chatting about the first goal quite a bit after the second goal had gone in. Um, the uh, Then... After we went 2-1 up reasonably late on, there was a lot of nerves around. And that Burnley had a counter-attack, which both Lindelof and Maguire really tried to royally mess up. But Manchester United's player of the season stepped to the rescue as Luke Shaw made a very fine tackle. Um, United got the ball out and then and then the big boys took control. And uh, it was, was it Fernandez um, to Pogba? Pogba slid it in. And then it was knocked out wide to through like the through ball to Van der Beek, and an absolutely beautiful ball from Van der Beek to Cavani. Just perfect all round. Well, well played. Oh yeah, Pogba found Greenwood right, and Greenwood's ball found Cavani. Um, like that that not Cavani. Right. Yeah, yeah, Cavani. The through ball. Donny. Yeah, Cavani was Donny. Greenwood finds yeah. Donny Van der Beek, and Van der Beek slides yes. it in. Yeah, Cavani finds Greenwood. Right. Greenwood finds right. Van der Beek, and who then who then finds um, Cavani again, and he scores. Yeah, Good yeah, times. exactly, and it looked it looked like it could be offside at <laughs> yeah. any phase of that, but they all they Don, Donny just about held his run, and and Cavani's behind yeah. the ball, so um, yeah, no, be- beautiful goal, walked in. Hate to say it, but sort of a, a city style, <laughs> with, you know, with a bit of United counter attack flair yeah. there. Um, yeah, lo- lovely goal, things you love yeah. to see, um, which was you know, it, and and it kind of wrapped up. Um, a what was a good performance? I think there was you know difficult moments yeah. in this game for sure, and and as you said, haven't been them at home yeah. for six years. You know, um, they they are and they caused us a, you know a fair amount of trouble. But XG is basically three to one. Nice. Yeah, so, there you go. Two point nine two to one point oh seven. You know, change either way, uh, and yeah, strong performance from United, especially coming with no prep time. Now they've got a week off. You know, the only only thing that was a downer, I was kind of hoping, given all his injury problems, that Marcus Rashford would have a full day off today. He got 15 minutes off at yeah. the end or something. Um, and he's got a week now, but, you know, 10 days would have been even better for what there are. We hope nine more games to come after this, six in the Premier League and, and three He was so more. crucial, though, and he looked on it today. He looked, he did look a bit better today, I thought. Um, I, I don't mean better yeah. quality-wise, although that too... I meant just physically, he looked a little bit, I mean, he looked shattered at the end, but having half an hour off in midweek clearly did him some good. I don't know. Um, uh, Mason Greenwood also missed an absolute sitter, didn't he? The the one, he was four yards out and Rashford knocked the ball into him. That was at nil-nil. Um, well, he didn't miss it. He just didn't make contact with the ball. Uh, Won't register on XG, yeah, that one. Yeah. But, but yeah. I was thinking that one. That, um, it was the yes. XG chat that made me think about it because it was, um, it was a, a huge opportunity that, that uh, didn't happen. But yeah, I mean, and we are now... Uh, like Also, City lost... And so, you know, I mean, they lost in in the league and then they lost in the FA Cup. So maybe City are about to, yeah. Collapse is happening. Collapse is happening, lads. The They've title's on. they Devon Lock at this point. Um, oh, it, it would be absolutely, I'm not, I don't believe it. Uh, what, what are 538 saying? They've got to be Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more, it's less than 1%. Locked on. Um, it would be amazing. But, you know, hey, 
Yeah, 100 to 1 shots, do come in. Okay, yeah, I mean, we're, we're eight um, points behind I mean, with six games left in the season. There's uh, plenty of propensity for United to drop points yes. too, and that's the other side of the equation, which seems a challenging one. I mean, Le- Leeds are up next, and then, I mean, look at this for a mouth-watering fixture list. Leeds, Roma, Liverpool, Roma, Villa, Leicester, and then, you know, a couple of gimmies at the end in Fulham and Wolves. <laughs> we hope. <laughs> how are we calling those gimmies, honestly? Wolves, how are we calling Have we ever beaten Wolverhampton Wanderers? I mean... Maybe we have. I don't know. Um, maybe we beat them this season. I have no idea. I remember last season drawing with them one all and playing them a hundred times, and they oh, it's all it's all just one game. <laughs> it really does all blend into yeah. one. I mean, just so many games. Uh, I, I mean, it's um, I mean, it's United's fifty-something game of the season. It's it, it's yeah, it, unbelievable amount of football having been played and, and condensed into a, such a short space of time. And it's just like, oh, we talk about it all the time, but they're going to get a week off before the Euros and like a week off before the start of the new campaign because that's got to start fairly early, 7th of August, I think it is. Um, and then we run through to November, World Cup, finish the season, and then we all get a break in the summer of 2022. <laughs> when the... Unless that's when they the compromise franchise yeah, league exactly. starts up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. Um, the uh, the game against Leeds. Um, uh, fortunately, there's not that much riding on any of these games anymore. Basically, because we are now we are now at the uh, it would take the, a similar level of miracle for City to not win the league as it would take for us not to qualify for the Champions League. And I, I don't wish to be hubristic in any way because it feels. Uh, very ridiculous to do that but we are 12 points and three teams clear of fifth place um with uh, not that many games left to go over the season we talked about this at length last week that the maths checks out very much for united to have already have basically been qualified for the champions league and that 3-1 win today was uh, was absolutely massive in that in that regard as well so i, I think it's it's more than a devon lock yeah. um would have have to happen to united to collapse from here and i, I just don't see even if some of those games uh, you know a are tough on paper I mean, I, th- I think the bigger question is: it's ten points to Leicester. Leicester have a game mm-hmm. in hand, but still, and, but you know they're dropping points. So ten points to Leicester is second place already locked. Well, in. I guess it's yeah, it's bordering. I mean, we'd have to really mess up not to get second now, really. Um, I mean, yeah, let's say Leicester win their game in hand, although given their recent form, it's not exactly guaranteed. Um, that would be uh, that'd be a seven point gap with. Which is not unassailable if United kind of mess up, but it was going to take a big mess up for us not to be not to be second. Which is, in a way, like uh, it, just in terms of the the Premier League as a whole, relegation is done. The team that wins the league's done. Team that finishes second is probably just about done. We really are just talking about that um, all important third and fourth place again for what seems like the hundredth season in a row. Um, yeah, well, it might be it might be the last season that we have to talk about third or fourth place being important because <laughs> qualification won't matter in the future. Oh, God, Woo-hoo. what an awful sport! It's awful. It's just awful. Like the game is great. That Messi goal, right? That Messi goal in the Copa del Rey final. You watch that yeah. and you're like, this is one of the most beautiful sports. The Mbappe goal, um, the the touch and the touch with his left and the finish. Well, he controls I mean, it's, it. Yeah, it's a miraculous yeah. bit of human uh excellence but 
I mean, I was, I was being a cynic in the WhatsApp group, um, but part of my brain did say, well, Messi goal, I've seen that like a hundred uh, times. Several them, people said that you're to You're almost me. immune to how brilliant yeah. he is that, you know, at the age of, what, 33 or so, he's still yeah. doing that. You know, how's he still got the the fitness to to still come up with this stuff? And, and then Mbappe should hit it with his left. I mean, <laughs> first time with the left, really. Um, so he's, he, that left's a swinger, isn't it? It's for standing on. Um, that's why he controlled it brilliantly and <laughs> knocked uh, it in. Don't, don't need a left if you can do that with your right, right? Um, but yeah, that, that's right. I mean, you, you already feel the the narrative shifting from the uh, it's Messi versus Ronaldo to it's it's Mbappe. Versus yeah, it's Harlan. relentless on on a certain bit of Twitter that I've never enjoyed. Um, but the uh, the thing about those goals and United's like couple of beautiful goals today. You know, they they lift the spirit. They're, like, football is... That's what it's for. But, like, like everything... Like, so much else that's kind of in the material world that lifts the human spirit. It's just being exploited relentlessly for profit by a small number of people intent on uh, maximising wealth disparity. And it's tiring. I'm tired. I'm tired of, like, that whole thing. So... It's a shame. It's a real shame because it remains an absolutely beautiful sport at its best football, doesn't it? It does. Yes, absolutely. Um, and uh, that's why I uh, get up at 8am to watch these games. I've <laughs> been up for a few hours by then. <laughs> Have small kids. Uh, cannot uh, be allowed to sleep. Um, uh, the next few fixtures are interesting, though. Six o'clock kickoff. My time um, for uh, Leeds next weekend. That's commitment for you, <laughs> fellas and ladies. Wait, I, I'm so confused about the times. Aren't evening kickoffs easier for you? Oh no, the Leeds game. Did you say? Oh yeah, okay. That's what time? Leeds what game. times that kickoff in the UK? Is it a one o'clock, two o'clock sort of thing? I think that would that would be a two right. o'clock. Right. Oh yeah, because United don't have to play at four o'clock on a Sunday because there's no Thursday night game. Uh, talking of Thursday night games, a little brief conversation about we haven't taken a break, but so what? Um, we don't we yeah, don't need we don't need breaks. We earned what was it? What was the um, statement we got last <laughs> month? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. pathetic. Uh, it's not worth um, it's not worth your time, listeners. Let, let me tell you that it's not worth no. our time. Uh, yeah, Granada. Yeah, comfortable. What happened? We scored a Just goal about. early. Cavani scored. After six minutes, then the tie was done. Yeah, at that point, they should have subbed Bruno yeah. off, really. He played 75 minutes of pointless football. Who scored Who scored really late on? Oh, somebody did. We did. I mean, United scored to make it 2-0, because the same thing happened in both games, right? Scored early and late. Not not quite as early in the first one. I've completely forgotten who scored United's right, second you've, goal. You're that, sitting that, at your computer. I'm further away from mine. You have to look it up. I'm I'm going to look it up. I'm looking it up right now. This is you know, and and listeners are shouting into their iPhones right now. Who scored Manchester United's second goal in this game? It was an own goal, of course. Yes, lovely finish, Vallejo with the yeah the cushion. Oh, header that's into right. The yeah, the, the header came across, and he thought that. Uh, that's yeah, why we couldn't remember. Go. Okay. Uh, that's all I've got to say about that game. Granada suck. I hate Granada. I hope Granada get relegated every season from now on. But they're like, genuinely, they've made an enemy of me, Granada, the football club. They've made an enemy of me because their roly-roundy activities in those two games were 
It, it was yeah. it was awful, wasn't it? It was so much like lying on the floor and screaming. And I, I think in these days of no fans, when you can really hear the pitch side mic, you really you just the amount of screeching, squealing like pigs. They yeah, were. They've um, yeah. they, you know, like I I get it. It's a way to combat the massive inequality inherent in football, cheating. But to us, tiresome watching it. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting against Roma. I mean, they're not having a great season. Seventh in Serie A right now. It looks, you know, could well miss out on European... It looks likely they're going to miss out on European football next season. Um, You know, uh, re- reunion with Chris Smalling. Are we looking forward yeah, to that? Yeah, he had a rough time uh, this week. His family were... He got yeah, robbed, held. yeah. I mean, it's yeah. not just getting robbed is bad, but like, you know, armed robbers coming in when you're in the house is is like... That's about as bad as it gets. Um, but they were all okay, which um, is good. Interesting game against... We'll, yeah. um, we'll I mean, preview the Roma game after Leeds next weekend. So We we will, yeah. But, I mean, it should it, like United should be too strong, um, just to give the macro view. But, you know, no guarantees. Um, but this is not a, a great Roma side. They're just taken over by um, American Investment Group, of course, Roma. Um, another one in Italy. Uh, they've got young coach may or may not survive this season. Well, it seems like probably not. Um, apparently, he's got a, Fonseca's apparently got a clause in his contract that says if, he, if they make Champions League football, he's guaranteed a contract extension. So, you know, flip side of that is he's probably out. Um, and, uh, yeah, Chris Smalling, hopefully we get to see him at Old Trafford again. That would be... Um, Fun, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, where are we in terms of the second leg? No, no chance of fans being back yet for the second leg of that. We're really only talking about the very last game of the season, I think. Last game of the yeah. season, basically, yeah. Yeah, so uh, so that's football. We've done an hour. Half an hour of it was about the death of the spirit of football as we know it. And the rest of it was about Burnley. So, you know. Um, <laughs> hey, by the way, Luke. No, you see the joke there should have been. Yeah, half an hour oh, about yeah, the, death right, of yeah. the spirit of football as we know it. The rest of it was about the franchise yeah. league. That would have yeah, worked yeah, to get yeah, in yeah. most of our games against Burnley, but actually not this one because it was perfectly entertaining. Um, the uh, friend of the show, um, uh, Nick, at Man United Youth, tweeting that something like, you know, 80% of him is just revolted by the idea of the, the Super League. 19% of him is like quite pleased because he can just be done with the whole thing now. And uh, 1% of him is absolutely delighted never to have to see Burnley again. But of course, this doesn't exclude domestic competition. That's not, it's not that sort of franchise league. But anyway, um, the, uh, yeah, uh, it was a good result. United are doing great. Hooray. I mean, great. United are doing fine. Um, yeah. Uh, and and football's about to be even more ruined. So have a great week, everyone. At least we beat Mourinho last week. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, and you know, semi lols with uh, Spurs' draw at Everton this week. We'll talk about that on the back of. Hey, wait content. a minute! Before we get to that, how did we get to fifty-eight minutes into this show? Oh. Football's not ruined. It's better than it's ever been because this week, ladies and gentlemen, someone finally said it. They said the quiet part loud. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're yeah, going to talk about damn it. Damn right, we're going to talk about it. I know we've done a lot of show already, but how are we going to not talk about this? Um, Paul Pogba 
just absolutely, you won't get this reference, Ed, but this was a pipe bomb promo. This was him waving at the camera and saying, hey, Colt Cabana. Like, he broke the fourth wall into tiny little pieces. He don't care. He's about to make the pogmentary. Should be called the pogumentary, but you can't have everything. Um, Gives an interview. Very jovial, by the way. Goal.com can go to hell for their cartoon. That's a whole nother thing. Um... Uh, gives a very jovial interview, very relaxed and cheerful, saying, you know, everyone knows what Mourinho is like. <laughs> and he sort of said, um, you know, he was talking about the comments about uh, Ole and uh, feeding children or otherwise, um, which Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's son came out and said, my dad's always fed me. <laughs> Mourinho's just upset. <laughs> um, but Pogba came out and said, you know, we know that's what he does. He's just trying to deflect attention from the fact that his team lost. It's nice to hear a professional footballer say that out loud when we all know it's exactly what was happening. But the main thing that he said that was interesting was he um, basically said, I had a great relationship with Mourinho until I didn't, and I have no idea why. And that's exactly the problem with Jose Mourinho right there. Yes, I mean, I don't know whether there's more behind that. You know, I'm sure there are details. Um, but but yeah, uh, ask Dilly Ali right now whether he knows why he's he's not in the thinking at all and and uh, hardly features at all. I'm not, I'm not sure he could say exactly either. So yeah, now fascinating interview from Pogba. Um, you know, not angry, very jovial, laughing about it, and um, yeah, screw Mourinho, screw him. He's a cancer on the game. Yeah. Much like the yeah, franchise league like that the is rest coming of the up. Game. Um, it, he, he belongs, he should manage one of those franchises, unquestionably, made for each other. Um, but he won't get the job because he's useless. Um, he said, I don't care what that man says. I don't care a damn or something like that. Um, like, and then Gold.com made this, this. did you see that Gold.com cartoon that they deleted? I haven't. It's absolutely disgusting. It was about Mourinho saying, I'm, I don't care what he says. And it was Mourinho on a beach lounger with sunglasses on looking extremely cool. And Paul Pogba shouting furiously with a gigantic ex, uh, caricature of him really furiously angry and just Mourinho being super chill about it. And it was, it was really ugly and gross and it's, they've got a history of doing this i think the same cartoon oh, oh, oh the angry yeah, black man exactly, yeah exactly it's yeah, yeah gold. quite um so yeah uh patreon backers stay tuned for a little bit more anti-marino content although you know don't want to don't want to don't want to play the hits too often right that's uh <laughs> go and mix it up uh we need to predict what the score is going to be against leeds for reasons yeah, uh, I mean, you know, I, I'm going to go wild and go, maybe we'll score six, but I can see them getting a couple. <laughs> uh, they've been in reasonable form. I don't know what they did this week, but they've been um, they've been playing well and they, they were really good against Man City last weekend um, when, they, when they won that game. Uh, but they, they showed a different side of themselves. Um, I, I just don't think you could take this game for granted by any stretch of the imagination. It's a really good game to have a week off in advance of, I'd say, because it's going to be pretty high intensity affair but and it would be really upsetting to lose our amazing away run to Leeds so for emotional reasons I'm going to predict a a, a 3-0 win to Man United I mean look it it it's um we've talked about the high press and United being vulnerable to that but but the counter of that and and it still is true the counter of that is at least Lee so much space behind them, so much space 
um, and you're able to play through the lines. Yeah. Uh, and United are very good at exploiting yeah. that. So, you know, I, I expect United to be able to exploit that. I, I don't think Leeds is suddenly going to change their style to, you know, sit deep in the no, low block. I think you're right. Even if they did that quite well against City. I mean, they, they did it until they <laughs> didn't. Um, and they couldn't, they couldn't stick with it any longer and they went and won the game as a result. Um, but I, I expect there to be space for United and, and I think we'll see yeah. some goals and we've got some prep time for that and some rest time. And so I'm going to go for 3-1 yeah, to United. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that's a, that's a very reasonable prediction. So thanks everybody for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Um, at Patreon backers, do stay tuned, obviously. Um, why would you just turn it off? You wouldn't back the show, have it in your RSS feed, get to this bit and go, oh no, I'm not going to listen. Because I always, it always feels, because we take a break between recording, it always feels like, they're two separate shows, but if you're actually signed up to the Patreon, it just feels like one show. So anyway, I'm going to shut up about that now and everyone else will see you next week. All right. Have a good one, everyone. Bye now.